Welcome to Family Owned, a legacy leadership podcast exploring generational leadership success for family businesses. Brought to you by the Ole Miss Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. If you're ready to take your family owned business to new and perpetual heights, stay tuned to hear compelling insight from experienced business leaders who will help you set your business up for generational advancement. Whether you want to go public, stay private, or make international inroads. Now, keep listening for how to leave an enduring legacy through exceptional leadership. And I'm your host, Dr. Clay Dibrell. I'm a professor of entrepreneurship and co-director for the Center for Innovation Entrepreneurship at the University of Mississippi. And we're very fortunate today to be joined by uh, Donna Bruce, who's a CPA and partner at Forvis. And she's also the market industry leader for the private client group with Forvis. And welcome, Donna. Thank you. Good morning, Clay. Good to be here. And so one of the things, Donna, that I know we talked about off air a little bit that I definitely want to share with our audience here is the fact of the different tax implications. And this is something that always comes up. And I know you get a whole lot on this, I'm sure, in terms of that. So when we get started here along those lines, what's one of the organizational forms that I should attempt to use uh, in terms of when I'm trying to start my business? Should it be like a C-Corp, an LLC, uh, S-Corp? sole proprietorship? What do you think? You know, I wish there were one answer that fit all situations there. Um, There are benefits to all of those, but it certainly seems like LLCs have been the entity of choice for a number of years now. Um, uh, There are a lot of reasons for that. The uh, unlimited liability, the flexibility, I shouldn't say unlimited, the the limited liability, um, the flexibility with how you share profits, but there's also some really good tax Um, benefits to uh, being structured as an LLC, which is taxes a partnership. It gives you a step up in basis at death. Um, Just a lot more flexibility than some of the corporate forms offer. And so, and to that point, because I know like uh, I've heard, so the C-Corp, for instance, which I know has a lot of benefits, especially if you're trying to get a lot of investors on board. Right. With that said, though, uh, it's also the double taxation issue, especially if you're trying to sell your business down the road. That's exactly right. Um, C-Corps are more rigid. Um, if you think you're going to have an exit strategy that involves a PE group, that's a structure that they often know and like to see. Um, it's a it's a limited opportunity, but with the C-Corp structure for certain businesses, there's a potential to have uh, zero tax if you have a qualifying event, if you're a 1202 structure. Um, that's a whole different uh, segment to go down, a very limited niche, but there can be a lot of benefit in excluding up to $10 million of gain with the C-Corp structure. It's just... Um, again, more rigid. If you have losses on startup, those aren't going to pass out. And um, you have to weigh all aspects of that and what you think your business is going to look like over the short and long term. Excellent. And to that point also, so it's a sole proprietorship because you mentioned the limited and unlimited liability issues. Mm-hmm. So it's a sole proprietorship is one of the the, the most used of, very, of all the different ownership forms here in the U.S., but the downside is that uh, unlimited liability. What about in terms of tax implications? Are there any tax implications for that? You know, if you're a sole proprietorship, um, it, it's the, the same um, tax issues with just your individual. It's going to be a Schedule C on your tax return. It's going to be self-employment income. Um, it's, it, it's just much more straightforward. And depending on the complexity of your business, uh, only works in a limited number of situations. 
Excellent. Only and works well in a number of situations, well put, I should well put, say. Well put. It's most effective right there. And, and to that point, and because one of the things about family businesses are they are surprisingly complex, as we know, especially when we start talking about succession. And so as kind of walk me through this in terms of like, how do you value a business and how do you determine the price? Because I know a lot of times you don't have comparables out there. So, Right. Um, that is an interesting, um, interesting challenge to deal with. In a perfect world, getting a third-party appraiser involved to determine the value of the business is the best way. Um, appraisers have um, certain standards qualifying uh, themselves to be. Uh, again, an appraiser, they find comparables, closed-in funds, other such things to be able to determine the value for the business. There may be um, industry guidelines in your market, you know, what a cap rate is uh, that's acceptable for your business that you could rely on. But the best answer is a qualified appraiser that knows your industry. When you're talking about cap rate, could you explain that a little bit more on that one? Um And that may get more detailed than um, than I can get here, but you're your multiples of how the business would be valued. Very good. Good. Because I mean, to your point, like certain certain industries like have a multiple 15 times cash flow, whatever right. it may be. Right. Uh, okay. Excellent. Um, so to that point, so let's say I've got a number now. I hired a third party. I've got a number. When should I start planning for succession? Because, you know, I may be, I may be like 45 or something like that. And I've got mm -hmm. just two kids and high school or whatever it may be. So when should I start planning? Um. Again, I wish there were a one-size-fits-all answer there. Um, I'd say early, but that's relative to everyone's situation. Um, but always having an idea of how you're going to exit is, I think, wise for any business owner, whether that's you've got um, a junior family member coming up in the business that you want to transition to, whether you've got a key employee and what that looks like to keep them incentivized and to stay on. Uh, with ultimate ownership opportunity, perhaps, or maybe you think it's a third-party sale that's down the road. And so, again, each industry is different. Each family business is going to be structured differently to know what's the right answer. But starting to identify at a, a very early time frame what you think that looks like and which avenue to head down is the best answer. Yeah, I think you hit a couple of great points there. One is, you know, know where you're going on your exit or what that looks like going forward, because that's that classic straight line. If you know where you're going, mm -hmm. you're going to be able to get there more efficiently. Mm -hmm. And also, I am guessing you have tremendous number of horror stories for people who did not plan ahead of time and said had the exit come up way too soon for them, whatever that may be. Um hopefully not many horror stories, but certainly some <laughs> challenges. Um, you know, sometimes it's as simple as you think you're your child is going to continue in the business and they don't want any part of it. And so having everybody on the same page is wise. Um, when you get to the need to exit and you don't have anything obvious, you can really be in a tough situation of finding that third party buyer that you want to turn your business over to for an acceptable amount of money that everybody agrees to. That can be a challenge. Excellent, Donna. Thank you. Donna Bruce with Forvis, where she is a uh, partner, as well as the marketing industry leader for the private client group. Family-owned businesses account for 64% of the U.S. gross domestic product, generate 62% of the country's employment, and account for 78% of all new job creation. 
For more information on becoming a part of the Legacy Leadership Program, visit our website at olemiss.edu slash CIE. The Legacy Leadership Podcast is sponsored by the Ergon Foundation, Do Good Work, and the CELO Agency, Creative Vision, the ability to see what is and what can be. Once again, we're here with Donna Bruce from Forvis, where she is a partner as well as a marketing industry leader for the private client group. Now, let's get back to our questions with Donna. What do you need to consider in arrangements with family members, co-owners, non-family owners, those third parties that you mentioned about in terms of this exit and transition? Probably just having a plan in place to know how you're going to structure that transition, whether it's going to be gifting um, interest in your business, whether it'll be a sale, um, um, how you value it, whether you want to buy a sale agreement in place. You know, again, as much definition and structure as you can put around what um, what this is going to look like is important from an early from an early stage. You mentioned buy and sell agreements. Could you talk a little bit more about what that looks like and why that's important, if you can, to get it in place earlier? Sure. Oftentimes we see buy sell agreements. A lot of times we don't see them, but hopefully we see them where they define the transferability of the business interest. Who can it be transferred to? Maybe there's um, a first right of refusal where the um, the the stock or interest in the business will be put back to the majority owners or to the business before it's transferred elsewhere. A lot of times the purchase price is, or at least a formula for that purchase price is included so that everyone knows when there are not emotions involved, not um, um, a, a stressful situation that demands an exit where everyone agrees, here's how we're going to determine what that price looks like. The benefits of a buy-sell is that you control who the stock would ultimately be transferred to. So maybe there's a failed marriage or a creditor you want to protect the minority interest from going to. Um, on the other side of that, it gives um, it, it gives some liquidity event to, in this case, a minority shareholder. And so it's comforting to them to know they've got an exit and a monetization event. That's excellent. I'm glad you brought up both sides of that equation too. So both both from, the, say, family members, maybe even a family member who's inside, who's been working a long time in there, they can see a way to, to, to potentially get some kind of liquidity out, to get some money out of the company right there. Right. Uh, the flip side, though, is love how you pointed out the emotions associated with this. And I know that, um, you know, I've worked with some families in the past that they've really struggled in this particular area because someone thought that it was the valuation should have been much higher, should have been worth a lot more no right. matter what they did in terms of showing right. that. And so it created, right. and it, as you know, uh, it, it could potentially ruin a family's dynamic and the reason why Certainly. they got together and to begin with. So that. Certainly. So excellent. I'm so glad you brought that up, especially that emotion. Everything's charged up when you're talking money, as we know. And that's why, it's so, good. That's why it's so good to do it at the beginning, earlier versus right. later on that. That's right. All right. Uh, so to that point, in terms of exiting, uh, what is the impact of selling the family business on federal and or Mississippi inheritance slash estate taxes? Sure. Um, well, we do not have a Mississippi um, inheritance or estate tax. All right, now, Mississippi. Uh, yeah. used two years ago. Um, from a federal standpoint, it, depending on who you're selling your business to, I guess, your federal estate tax is based on the value of your balance sheet, whatever you own. So the family business would be included in that. 
if you're going to be selling to a third party, then, you know, maybe the benefit is it's just a liquidity event. You have the same value uh, that would be subject to a tax, whether it's um, closely held stock or whether it's been monetized. The impact, though, on a state and let's also say gift tax, if you're transferring to family members, maybe that you can structure and transfer in a way to discount the value of the stock, the partnership interest as you transfer it down. So because of um, minority interest transfer, because marketability, maybe you, after discounts, end up paying state and gift tax on a lesser value because you've packaged it, so to speak, as you transfer it down to the next generation. Well, I think that's a good segue to my next question here, too. So in terms of transferring wealth, because I know everybody's got a different perspective in terms of at least in terms of like, should I give my my son or daughter, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, XYZ amount of money every year if they're not ready for it? Right. With that said, though, from a tax side, what does that look like? Well, should it be better in terms of, let me, let me rephrase that slightly. Mm-hmm. Here. So if I am trying to move wealth, so it's mm-hmm. not going to have a tax implication or big tax event at the end, what's a good right. approach to do that? Well, the vehicle you use. And so you may not want to give stock outright to a child because maybe they're still a child, a minority age at that point. But you can put that in a vehicle such as um, a trust, um, perhaps another partnership where you don't um, give away control just yet. Um, So there are a number of different vehicles depending on voting control, depending on whether you want them to have outright ownership, trust, um, partnerships, investment partnerships can work really well to transfer value, but not control. Okay. That's excellent. Cause, and to that point in terms of, cause one of the things that I know for most family members or at least people, the founders or the second generation people mm-hmm. in charge there, they, they sometimes are reluctant uh, to give up control, even though they start to want to take care of the liquidity and taxes down the road. What's a way that they can basically have their cake and eat it too. Absolutely. Um, clients oftentimes are very on board with transferring until they realize they're really giving it away and can't make those big decisions in control anymore. Um, you have to be real careful. The IRS can come back and say, wait a minute, you you really did keep control and that can pull those interests back into your estate. But you can structure with non-voting stock. You can structure with um um, limited partnership interest where you still have all voting control, but not all equity interest. Um, some of those situations have worked real well in the past with being able to uh, to continue to uh, almost have your cake and eat it too with respect to at least uh, control in some fashion. And I love how you put that too. Because uh, one of the things I, I think a lot of people don't understand or don't don't appreciate enough, I should say, that even though if it's a private entity, you can have stock in a private entity and it could be voting a non-voting stock just like a publicly traded company could. That's right. That's right. Um, and there are a lot of nuances. You have to be careful about that. But um, in most situations, the client doesn't have to give up um, all control. Well, that's excellent. Thank you so much, Donna, for being joining us today. Once again, Thank this you. has been Donna Bruce with Forvis, where she is a partner as well as a marketing industry leader for the private client group and a holder of a CPA. And she has been a fabulous guest with us here today. So thank you once again, Donna, for that and for your insights into tax implications as well as 
uh, other events associated with family uh, businesses in relationship to succession or to some type of liquidity event. So thank you again for that. And thank you for listening to this edition of the Legacy Leadership Family-Owned Podcast. Thank you and have a great week. Thank you for listening to this edition of Family-Owned, a Legacy Leadership Podcast, exploring family businesses who make up the backbone of the American economy. Join us next time to gain invaluable insight into your family business and how to make generational advancements for your family, industry, and community.